Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Good morning. Happy Pentecost Sunday. I have uh, expectation this morning through the Word of God. We're going to begin in verse 18 through the end of the chapter, verse 18 through 25. Matthew, I'm sorry, verse 12, verse 12, Matthew 4, 12 through 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, and who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God. We thank you for this text. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, today that we might hear you, that we might see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and believe. And we give you this time, and we thank you for it, and what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Very simply this morning, I want to look at three calls. I entitled this teaching this morning, The Call of God, or Called of God. There are three calls in these verses. Two are inferred, and one is very clearly heard. Verses 12 through 16 is the call out of darkness. Verses 17 through 22 is the call to follow. And verses 23 through 25 is the call to the kingdom. Three callings, three calls. And all three have two things in common. They are, first of all, all clearly initiated by God. That's the first thing. All three are God-initiated. Sovereignly. And secondly, all three demand a response from those who hear the call. Three callings. A call out of darkness. A call to follow a call to the kingdom, all three initiated sovereignly by God, yet all three demanding a response. 
You know that the word ecclesia is the Greek word for church. It simply means to call out. We have been called out by God. Our theme through the book of Matthew is not of this world. And so what we're realizing and understanding is that there is a, a need for a response to this call of God to come out of the world and to come to him. Throughout the New Testament, I don't know, hundreds of times, literally, you hear the word and you see the word call or called. It's a very common word in the New Testament. Paul uses it often. Paul called as an apostle. So we're going to look today at this sense, this meaning of this being called of God. And, and I, again, the thought that must be in our minds to begin is that it is a sovereign call, always God-initiated separate and apart from us in the beginning completely because it is the eternal purpose of God for us in this world. And that's a key to understanding the call of God is that it is the purpose of God eternally for you and for me and for his church in the world. We are called of God eternally. Paul says in Romans 8, we have been called according to his purpose. Listen to the word. 2 Timothy 1, turn to, to, turn to 2 Timothy 1 with me. This is an important text in so many ways. Let's read it. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 10. Listen to the language of Paul to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Listen, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, here's the sovereignty of God, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So much in these verses. The calling of God according to his purpose and grace before the ages began, but now manifest in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, listen, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Called out of darkness according to the purposes of God. Notice the words purpose and possession. Speak of God initiating for his own pleasure out of his own love, out of his own grace. And so we read Paul and the other New Testament writers speaking continually of this calling of God on our lives, being called by God, by the grace of God, initiated by God into newness of life. And we too have been called of God. We've been called out of darkness. We've been called to follow. And we've been called to be a kingdom people. But as I said a moment ago, every call of God demands a response. That's an interesting, not even a, par not a paradox, but an interesting 
observation is that though it is God initiated and God's in sovereign in God's own purpose, it necessitates a response from us. And so we respond to God throughout our whole life, listen, as a response to him initiating. The Christian life is a response to the initiation of God, always. We repent as a response to the call. We obey as a response to the call. We believe as a response to the call of God. We make life decisions as a response to the call of God. We embark in our new life as a response to God and his call. And I like to think of the Christian life as the life of the therefores of Scripture. The therefores are the response to the initiation of God throughout the New Testament. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling and cleave to his wife. I told Hannah, half of me is in Hawaii this morning because Kath's in Hawaii with her mom and sister. Half of me is there. Literally, in the sense of what I sense and feel, because the two become one. Therefore, therefore, Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, Paul writes. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Paul says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside also every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is the life of the therefores. God initiates, therefore we respond. But so often in the church, what we usually focus on is the response And rightly so, it's important. But the call of God is the great initiation. It's the great causation of our lives. And that's what we're going to look at today from this text. The God, the great initiator. First of all, verses 12 through 18, we have been called out of darkness. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in Matthew's account. And Matthew tells us that it begins in a small town along the west bank of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. Can you put that picture up? Is it, is it available? I took a picture when I was in Israel a number of years ago when I was in Capernaum. Is it coming? Maybe it is and maybe it isn't. Only God knows. There it is. So this is, this is a picture I took. It's, it's cool because... Those are the the stones that are foundations of the houses of the time in which Christ was there. And there are literally stones in the synagogue that Jesus preached in in Capernaum that still exist in the foundation. They had rebuilt upon it, but you can still see in many pictures the stones of the foundation in the synagogue. Those are stones of the small homes that they lived in in that little Seaside Village. That was probably the place that was my favorite place. Even though I went to Jerusalem and saw all of that, that town was so interesting. Because so much of Jesus' ministry took place there. It's where he began. It's where Peter lived. It's where Peter was called when he was called. We'll see in a moment. It's where Peter returned. 
And Jesus actually moved from Nazareth and he moved to Capernaum and that's where he began his ministry. Interestingly, this city is in what was at one time the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel consisted of 10 of the tribes, excluding Judah and Benjamin. It existed for about 210 years until it was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. And if you read the book of 1 Kings, you'll find that every king in this northern kingdom was evil, without exception. There were nine dynasties in the northern kingdom, 19 kings in all, nine families, if you would, family lines, and they only reigned an average of 11 years. Eight of them met their death by violence. In the epitaph written over every one of the kings of the northern kingdom, you can read in 1 Kings 15, it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam. Jeroboam is the one who rebelled against Solomon and the, kingdoms, the kingdom was split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It was Jeroboam who was the rebel. And it says, they, he, every king walked in the, and did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel to sin. But through this region of the northern kingdom and the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which was along the Sea of Galilee where Capernaum was, was what they called the road to the sea, to the Mediterranean. It was through this road and on this road, the Assyrians would travel and they would travel through to the sea and often at war and they would pillage the northern kingdoms of Israel on their way through, raping, pillaging, and destroying the cities as they went through. Until eventually in 722 BC, they took them captivity and they, the northern kingdom ceased to exist. This is where Jesus began his ministry. Isaiah prophesies this future for this land in Isaiah 9 and in Isaiah 42. And Matthew quotes him here in chapter 4. He calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. That's what Isaiah called it. Galilee of the Gentiles. And he said the people that were dwelling there lived in great darkness and under the shadow of death. He said, but they have seen a great light. And upon them a light has dawned. Jesus begins his ministry in the darkest region of what was the nation of Israel at that time. This is the heart of God. He goes to the place that is the darkest. He goes to the place, as Sita said, with her story of the young girl, the place of greatest need. This was my experience in my life as well. And it was the experience of each one of us who at some point came into the light when we saw the truth of Jesus Christ and believed upon him. We were brought from darkness to light. We were brought from death to life. There was a call of God upon me and a call of God upon you to come out of darkness, to come to him, to drink and to eat and to taste and to see that the Lord is good and to live. It's a beautiful and a powerful call God initiated. It's grace cloaked apart from you and me. It had nothing to do with me. 
It was only him. And he called me. But my response was, yes, Lord, I did respond. You've responded. You had to respond to it. And your response was, yes, Lord, I believe. And I do turn. I turn from darkness to light. I repent. And I turn to you. You see, this is the call, the first call we see in this chapter. It's the call from darkness and the call to light. And it needed a response, and it needs a response today. Some of you in this room might still need to come out of that darkness. Even though I've taken these verses and I've broken them down to three separate calls, in some sense they overlap, don't they? In some sense they are, in some ways, even just one. But no, they really are three. And we'll actually see this in the life of the men that God is is going to call, that Jesus calls to walk with him. I love that Jesus begins his ministry here. For sure it's strategic in one sense because of its location by the sea where he could easily cross it and get to the eastern side and even into where is now Jordan and Syria to the north. But it also represents, as I said a moment ago, the very heart of God. He has come for the sick and the lame, for those in darkness. He has come for Jew and Gentile and Samaritan, the despised, the most despised of all. He's come for the rich and for the poor. He's come for the wealthy, the educated, the uneducated, and those that are destitute. The second call is in verses 18 through 22, the call to follow. I discovered as I was studying this, interestingly, that this is not Jesus' first interaction with Peter and Andrew. He actually first encounters them in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist is preaching. John tells us that, that they heard him, and they asked him, Actually, Jesus initiates with them. He says, what are you seeking? Because he sees them interested in what he was doing and who he was. John is still alive. John is preaching. Peter and Andrew are with, they are disciples of John the Baptist. We are told by John in his gospel. They're John the Baptist's disciples. Jesus comes on the scene. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter and Andrew are interested. Jesus looks at them and he says, what are you seeking in John 1? And they answered to him, their answer was, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. And so John tells us that they stayed with Jesus that day. Now this is interesting because we don't know what happens. But apparently they went back to their nets. This was in Judea. John 1 took place in Judea outside of Jerusalem where John the Baptist was ministering. Matthew 4 takes place in Capernaum. Something happened between John 1 and Matthew 4 with Peter and Andrew, and apparently what happened is they went home, and they went back to work, and they went back to their nets, and they went back to what was familiar. They knew of the Lord, they knew about Jesus, but they only knew him and, listen, followed him, from a distance. Does that sound familiar? But now in Matthew 4, Jesus initiates 
the grace of God, the call of God, sovereignly initiating. And he says to them, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Bonhoeffer said this, he said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. This is the call to discipleship. This is the call to follow. This is the call to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a learner of Jesus, which is what the word disciple means, as you know. Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, come and learn of me. Learn my ways, learn my heart, learn my desires, learn my wisdom, learn of me. And I think it's interesting that Peter and Andrew would find that what this meant was to find true purpose and meaning for their life. They would find why they had been created. When Jesus said to them, come and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They would then enter into the reason, this is amazing, why they were created. They weren't created just to fish for fish. Nothing wrong with that. But they were created to be men who would call other men to follow Jesus, to teach them what that meant. But it was through their following Jesus, it was through their answering the call to follow that they would become a disciple and they would discover their true meaning and purpose in life. And so do we. And just as you have been called out of darkness and I have been called out of darkness, so we have been called to follow. It may not be public ministry. It may not ever be visible. But if you follow Jesus and you become a disciple, you will find why you were created. It may not be something that will ever make you wealthy, but it will be fulfilling and you will be rich in other ways. But it will always be costly. It's costly to self-will. It's costly to autonomy. Interesting, I almost wrote self-autonomy when I was writing this out for my notes, and I realized that's redundant. Because the word autonomy means... Self-law, auto, self in the Greek, nomas, the law in the Greek. Autonomy is self-rule, self-law. It's the call to no longer live according to the rule or the law of your own self, but to lay it down, to embrace the will of God. Unlike the call from darkness into light, which may be sudden, and in fact is sudden, because it's the second of regeneration, the instant of regeneration, the call to discipleship is a learning experience. And I like the fact that Peter and Andrew maybe went back to their nets, because it encourages me to know in my life, as I have as well at times, not always followed the way that I've wanted to. But just like Peter and Andrew, as they have turned back, we will one day hear the call of God.
to follow him and to be disciples. There will have to be a day when we will respond. Listen to this call to following when we will turn away from the world in our hearts, in our affections, and we will turn our lives fully to Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? Can you say, not my will, but your will be done, Lord? I have to tell you that as I thought back on my life as I've been reading and studying these things, Though I have not followed God perfectly, obviously, none of us do, I would have to tell you that my life since the moment in December of 1975 when I announced my faith to my wife who was washing dishes that night, that I had come to faith and that I believed, since that night, every major life decision that we have made has been through the lens of following and being a disciple. We have not made any life decisions that were great decisions apart from that lens. Where we lived, where we worked, what we've done with our money, how we've raised our children. All of those decisions, as have many of you, have been made through the lens of discipleship. That's responding to the call of God. And even as I say that, remember what I said in the beginning, that every call of God is a call first of the grace of God to us. And its response is out of our love for him. The text that Dean read this morning before communion, he loved us first. Not that we loved him, but our love is a response to his love. The call of God out of darkness the call of God to follow. And thirdly, verses 23 through 25, the call of God to the kingdom. Matt set out for us as we began this trek regarding not being in this world, that we are not of this world because we as a people have been called to live under God's rule filled with his presence in that place which he has ordained for us according to his precepts. And now, can I add one more P? By the power of God. And this text, if I can say to you, the call of God is a call to kingdom life, and it is a call that that necessitates understanding the power of God. It is a kingdom of power. And on Pentecost Sunday, it's fitting that we would remember this. The day in which the Spirit of God came upon the church and empowered the church to witness, to be a witness. The call to the kingdom is a very necessary part of discipleship. If we are to follow Jesus and learn of him, we must learn, listen, of the ways of the kingdom. We must learn its ethics. We must understand its value system. We must understand the lifestyle of the kingdom. Because I think as Nick said last week, and we have said many times, it is an upside-down kingdom in this world. And Tozer said that when you walk 
in the kingdom of God, in obedience to God, you're walking with your face in the wind of this world because the wind of this world is blowing toward hell. And Christians walk with their face in the wind. To learn of the kingdom, we must learn of its compassion. I loved seeing the video. Zabeda in Jordan and her kids. She's got seven beautiful kids. And I'll tell you, when I saw her the day that I met her, she never smiled once. She was so filled with weight of the grief and the unknown, and her countenance was so different in the video we just saw. We must learn of the compassion of the kingdom. We must learn of the authority of the kingdom. And we must learn of the power of the kingdom. And in this text in Matthew 4, it begins in verse 23, it says, He went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus will clearly teach the ethics, the values, and the lifestyle of the kingdom. But here the disciples are introduced to the compassion and the authority and the power of the kingdom. Because as Jesus will teach us, our prayer is that the will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And these are words, when we've prayed that prayer, when we understand what that means, that the will of God will be done on earth, let me say to you that these are words that will lead to certain conflict. Because as God's will is introduced into a fallen world, as God's will is introduced into a hurting will, there will be word, world, there will be resistance, both from the devil and from the world system. Because to speak of God's will being done, of the kingdom of God and the will of God coming to earth, is to speak of restoring what sin has destroyed to take back what has been stolen by the devil and to push back darkness wherever we are sent and wherever we are called to. And that will always bring about conflict. There were three components always to Jesus' work of the kingdom. There was teaching, there was preaching, and there was healing. Say those three. Teaching, preaching, preaching, and healing. All three were expressions of the power of the kingdom. So often we don't think of teaching as being power. It is. Believe me. Paul tells us in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God to everyone who believes. Jesus would teach to the God-fearers in the synagogue. And he would preach to the unbelievers from the mountain. He would teach his disciples around a fire at night. And he would preach to the multitudes whenever he had an opportunity. And he always did it in the power of the Spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the word of the cross is the power of God. 
when we speak the word of the cross, when we teach the word of the cross, when we preach the word of the cross, it's the power of God unto salvation for whoever will hear it, whoever who will believe it. It is the power of God. We need to become more and more faith-filled regarding this truth of the power of God in the kingdom of God. But we see in this text very clearly as well the power of God manifests through the works of Jesus and through the works that his disciples were called to and the works that you and I are also called to healing diseases and healing afflictions, it says, healing those afflicted with pain, freeing those oppressed by demons. Interesting today during the Revelation class, Dean was talking about Antipas in the city of Pergamum, who Jesus speaks of and commends in his letter to the church in Pergamum. And Dean reminded us today that Antipas died a martyr's death of probably the worst kind of death that a person could die. He was basically baked, put into a brazen uh, bull and the, over fire until he was roasted inside this brazen um, entity that they created. Well, as you would read about Antipas, you would also find that the reason that they did it was because he was casting demons out of people in the city. And they had a God in that city that was the God of healing, an idol that was the false God. And because Antipas would not give honor to that God and deny the name of Jesus Christ, who was the healer and who was the deliverer, they killed him. You see, healing is, a, is an incredibly powerful act of violence between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we must have faith for these things. We must learn to move in our faith, in our authority, in the name, not in our own authority, but in the name of Jesus Christ. He healed and freed those that were oppressed by demons. He healed epileptics. He even healed those that were paralyzed. The kingdom is a kingdom of power. Not our power, his. A kingdom of authority, not our authority, his authority. The authority of the kingdom. It is a kingdom that the gates of hell, Jesus said, would not be able to withstand. Because the kingdom is advancing. It's moving forward through the church. But it is God's kingdom, not ours. It is God's power, not ours. It is God's authority, not ours. But we respond to the call of the kingdom, to live in the kingdom and to live out the kingdom in the world in which we are living. There's a call to kingdom life upon you and upon me. Hear me. We've been called from darkness. We've been called to follow. You know, sadly, churches around the Western world are filled with Christians who have only experienced the call out of darkness. They've never, they've never yet responded to the call to follow. Is it possible to be a Christian and not be a disciple? Yes, it is. Barely, I think. If that's possible to be barely a Christian, it isn't. 
Theologically, it isn't. But what it is means is that you're not ever bearing any fruit. You've never, you're never learning of Jesus. You just, you just go to church once in a while, or you do the right things. Is it possible to be called out of darkness and respond and to be a follower of Christ, to respond to the discipleship of Christ and, and be a Christian? Yes, absolutely. Of course, churches are filled with Christians who are called out, who've come out of darkness and who, who have followed Christ and, but never entered into kingdom life. Hear me. Never entered into kingdom life. They still live the American dream. They're still following Christ, but they're not kingdom people. And I thought about this long and hard this week, and I think the reason for this lack is theological, mostly. It takes a revelation. All three callings necessitate a revelation to see them, but maybe more than any of the other three, of all the three, kingdom life, you must have a revelation to respond to it. And if you don't have a theology and you never hear it preached, how can you ever respond? And so many good Bible churches, so many good healthy churches preach the cross and preach discipleship, but do not preach the kingdom. Kingdom life and kingdom work is different from church life and church work. It is more than earthly business. It is heavenly busyness. It's being about the work of the Father. This call, like the others, is a call to faith and it necessitates a response. It's a call to believe to believe in the power of the kingdom, to believe in the work of the kingdom, to believe in the necessity to continue to preach this kingdom and to understand this kingdom and to live in this kingdom. But you cannot walk in what you have not seen. And so it necessitates revelation. When the Spirit of God opens our eyes to the beauty and the power of the kingdom, we want to engage our faith. And one of the great problems with Western Christianity is that we have intellectualized everything. And one of the weaknesses of Reformed theology is that it over-intellectualizes. Though I love its truth. But what we need is a revelation. We need a revelation by the Spirit of God I remember hearing a man named Rob Rufus one time who was ministering to us a number of years ago. He was part of the, uh, the team that is NCMI. And he made a statement that I've never forgotten. And when he said it, I understood it instantly. He said this. He said, I can tell you right now that I have learned how to walk and to step immediately into the things of the Spirit. I thought that sounded kind of weird and ethereal at the moment, but I know what he means. Probably for the last month, I have sensed the Spirit of God on me. Now, I know I'm always indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I know that. 
But I feel like the Spirit of God has been resting upon me in some way that is beyond just normal. And I told Kath about it. And I feel like I can just kind of step into something in God. And I've experienced that in the past. There was a season where I was driving over to Napa and ministering to a bunch of Seventh-day Adventists who had come out of Seventh-day Adventism. And all they wanted, all they wanted was to understand the things of the Spirit. And I would go there, I didn't know any of them. And there would be a room full of young people and old people, doctors, most of them, because they were Seventh-day Adventists and well-educated. And the Spirit of God would come upon me and I would begin ministering with power to them. Words of knowledge, prophetic things, just absolutely going on. It would go an hour, hour and a half. They kept having me come back and come back and come back because I was speaking to people, knowing things that I would not know in my natural mind. The same thing happens to me when I'm in Mexico. The Spirit of God comes upon me. Not, it's not normal here. But I feel like God is beginning to awaken that in me now here to where we're going to begin moving into something of the Spirit. Are you with me? That God is calling us to, not some strange... And see, of all of the callings of God, this is the one that can be most easily counterfeited. They can all be counterfeited. The call out of darkness can be counterfeited to, to make it appear that there was some sort of regeneration and true conversion, and maybe it was only counterfeit by the raising of a hand in a, some kind of a meeting. The call to discipleship can be counterfeited by, by heavy-handedness that is, that is authoritarian and not of God. That can be a counterfeit. And of course, the call to the kingdom is easily counterfeited because it necessitates power, and the enemy has power. But the Spirit of God wants to activate something in us regarding this kingdom. And what we've been called to in this city, hear me, will not happen apart from this power. Power in the teaching, power in the preaching, and power in the ministry. And we must learn. We must have our eyes open to see. We must seek to know and understand the ways of God in this area and begin to learn in faith to respond to it, to see God do what he desires to do. Brothers and sisters, there's a call on you and me today. It's a call out of darkness. Again, I appeal to you if you have not responded to the call of God in this area today. Come. Come out of darkness. Come into light. There is a call on you and me to be followers of Christ. Just like Peter and Andrew, maybe you've gone back. Maybe you started the trek and following and you went back. You've gone back to your work. You've gone back to what was familiar. You've gone back to what was secure. You've gone back to what was comfortable. The Lord says to you today, come and follow me with your whole heart and trust me. And lay your life down and give up your right to your autonomy, to your self-rule. And believe me and follow me and you will find meaning for your life. And there is a call to the kingdom and to the power of the kingdom and the authority of the kingdom and the life of the kingdom that is upon you and me as well. 
And our response is to say, yes, Lord, teach me. Amen. Stand with me, please. Father, thank you that you initiate with us because you love us. You're not a taskmaster. You're not frustrated with us. You don't ever become disheartened by our slow learning. But you continue to be gracious and merciful and abounding in love for us. We hear you today by the Spirit of God. Call to us, Lord. Each of us, wherever we may be, and we are all in various stages probably, if in fact we've come out of darkness, Lord, it's only because of your grace. And Lord, now we ask for grace to follow wholeheartedly. That we might be learners of you. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name today that you would give us courage to say yes with our whole hearts. And we pray regarding the call to the kingdom, Lord. Father God, we pray that the power of the Spirit of God would fall upon us afresh. That we would grow in wisdom and understanding and revelation of your ways regarding this kingdom authority and power. Lord, you have taught us so much in the last 30 years, 20 years, 15 10, 5, whatever it is that we have walked. You've taught us so much. We hunger, Lord, for that which is genuine, for that which is real. Spirit of God, visit us. Visit the church afresh. It's only by your grace that these things will happen, Lord. We cannot orchestrate them. We cannot create them. Nor would we ever want to. We desire you. Teach us to step, Lord, into the things of the Spirit. Teach us, O oh God, to discern the Spirit of God. Teach us to hear the Father's voice. To only do the things the Father is doing. To only speak the things the Father is speaking. Teach us, Spirit of God, to do this. Anoint our words. Anoint our preaching. Anoint our teaching and anoint us as we lay our hands on the sick. God, do miracles through our hands. You are a miracle-working God. Use us, Lord. May we be instruments of your life and of your power and of your love. Amen. We thank you this morning, Father, for the privilege of living for you. And we honor you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.